Welcome to The Savvy Sauce, where we have practical chats for intentional living. I'm your host, Laura Duggar, and I'm so glad you're here. I want to say thank you to our sponsor, Peoria Christian School. They are raising a generation of 21st century Christian leaders right here in central Illinois. Visit their website at peoriachristian.org. Thanks for your sponsorship. I'm excited to introduce you to our energetic and knowledgeable guest, Rob Reno. We are going to chat about a worthwhile vision for your family and simple ways to make this vision a reality. Here's our chat. Welcome to the Savvy Sauce, Rob. Thank you very much. I've been looking forward to this. Well, let's begin with you just sharing a bit about your background with us. Well, sure. I uh, grew up in Connecticut, and when I was born, neither one of my parents were Christians, didn't come from any kind of like spiritual background or generations of believers. My mother was my father's fourth wife. My father was my mother's second husband. And uh, very soon into their marriage, things started falling apart, not surprisingly, And it was when I was three months old that God worked a miracle in my mom's life and brought her to faith in Jesus. And so she was like the first Christian in our whole family tree. And she led me to the Lord when I was a little boy. She led my older brother to the Lord. My parents got divorced uh, when I was 15, though, because my dad was an atheist. My dad was a secularist, kind of thought that my mom had become a Jesus freak person. And um, he actually had extra relationships outside the marriage, which brought their marriage to an end. Uh, And it was really through that kind of dark time in my life that God gave me a heart for youth ministry and family ministry. So I left Connecticut, went out to Wheaton College, met my wife, Amy, in graduate school there. And Amy and I now just celebrated 25 years of marriage together. We have got seven children, four boys and three girls, two college, two high school, three elementary school. And uh, together we lead an organization called Visionary Family Ministries, trying to equip Christians to live for Christ in the hardest and most important place to be a Christian, which is home. So we've been doing this ministry full-time for the last 10 years. Well, you definitely have a gift for casting vision. So will you start us off today by answering what you believe is God's grand vision for the home? Sure. Well, that's a big question. And I guess the answer starts with a lot of brokenness in my life. When Amy and I got married, I'll speak for myself. I really had no clue about what the purpose of family was. I didn't really have any clue about what the purpose of marriage was or being a husband was. I mean, I was a Christian. She was a Christian. We both had good intentions. So what else do you need? But we quickly realized that because we didn't have, because I didn't have any clear understanding of why even God created the family, why God created marriage, why God would even give us children, we were really floundering. And at the 10-year mark, of our marriage especially, God had to do a real work in my life. This was 2004. I was a youth pastor for those 10 years. And so as a youth pastor, you know, like the number one mission of my life is passing my faith to other people's children. So I'm going to pray with other people's children, read the Bible with other people's children. And I had a, a real mission to help everybody else's kids follow Jesus. But the problem was I didn't have any mission, sense, calling, purpose to do that with my own kids. So I was a very passionate leader at church, and I was very, very passive in my house. And it was that summer of 2004 that God really brought me to a place of repentance over my 
lack of leadership in my home. And it was that summer that through this scripture, Deuteronomy chapter six, that God convicted me about what the purpose of our family was, what God's grand vision for the home was. Deuteronomy six is the great commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments I give to you today are to be upon your hearts. And, you know, Christians, if they've been around church before, they're familiar with that. But the next part, the next thing God says there is he turns our attention to the home. He turns our attention to parenting. He says, teach them diligently to your children and talk about them when you sit at home. The them there is the word of God, the things of God. So it's like, if you want to love me, mission number one, help the kids love me. If you want my word in your heart, mission number one, help the kids and grandkids have my word in their heart. And then as we began to dive into the scriptures on this and realizing that God created our family, like his purpose of the family is to be a disciple-making center. Like it is the number one place, especially for kids, that they get shaped in their faith and shaped in their heart and that God had brought us together, not just to have a home or have a family, but that he created our family to advance his kingdom in the world. And I love that you've already mentioned the strategy that scripture lays out for us to move in that direction. And it's talk about it. But then will you also teach about the four power packed opportunities of the day when we can talk about it, which you've mentioned you've seen sociologically across all cultures? Yeah. So right there in Deuteronomy 6, God gives us a little bit of a action plan for how we can, as messed up parents, begin this process of helping our kids follow Jesus. And it's not a magic formula. It's not a do one, two, three, and all your kids are going to love God and follow him forever. It's not you need to be a perfect Christian so you can help your kids be perfect Christians, because that's crazy. But there are four really specific things that God says there in Deuteronomy 6. And again, it wasn't until I was married 10 years that we had four children that I even saw any of this stuff. So again, back to Deuteronomy 6, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These commandments I give to you today are to be upon your hearts. Mission number one, teach them diligently to your children. And then these four power-packed moments. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you rise up. God gives these four specific moments of the day where he says, this is a great time to have a spiritual connection with your kids. So I'll go through them real quick. The first one, talk about God's word when you sit at home. Down through the centuries, this has been called family worship. Maybe we call it family devotions, like the few moments of the day where the family gets together for a few minutes of bumbling, stumbling prayer, bumbling, stumbling Bible. But it's like a spiritual meal for the family. The next one, God says, is talk about him, talk about his word when you walk along the road. Back in ancient times, if you were going from travel soccer in Jericho to violin lessons in Jerusalem, you are going to walk. So that was their transition time. And God says, hey, this is a great time for a spiritual connect with the kids. So for us today, that'd be car time, looking for opportunities in the car to have a spiritual conversation. Sometimes for us, when we pull out of the driveway in the morning, it's something like this. God, would you please use our family as a light for Christ to everybody that we're going to meet today? Maybe it's as simple as putting some Christian music on in the car or asking a child, how can I pray for you today? But just using that captive car time, that windshield time as a chance for a spiritual connection. And then those last two, to have a heart connection 
when you lie down and when you rise up. Last few moments of the day, spiritual connection with the kids, a prayer time. We do a blessing before bed. That's what we do in our house. And then first moments of the day, encouraging our kids and encouraging us to grab the first moments of the day. God always wants the first things to have a moment of prayer, a moment of scripture, a moment of spiritual conversation. Oh, that's good. You know, it's been more obvious as a parent for my own walk to be in the word first thing in the morning, but I haven't considered as much influencing my children to do that for their first thing in the morning. Do you have any other examples of what you and Amy do right before bed with that tender time with your kids or first thing in the morning? Sure. Yeah. Well, the bedtime one is great. And one of the things that parents recognize is that oftentimes there's an extra warmth or extra closeness with their children right before bedtime. So maybe the elementary kid's a little bit more cuddly at bedtime, or maybe your high school student, they're willing to have a conversation at 11 o'clock at night that they were never willing to have at two o'clock in the afternoon, that there's something about those last minutes. And I think it's because of Deuteronomy 6 that God built in that window of time where the walls of the heart sometimes come down a little bit and you're able to have a little bit deeper conversation. I remember we got great parenting advice from older parents that says, if you ever have a teenager or a college kid come to you at two in the morning and say, hey, can I talk to you? You always say yes. Like never, ever, ever (laughs) turn that opportunity down, regardless of how tired you might be, because they have a heart need that they want to probably discuss with you. But what we do before bed is we do a blessing. This started with my mom. My mom actually did this For me, she didn't do it at bedtime. She did it when I left the house in the morning for school, but she would meet me at the side door of the house and she would bless me with the blessing from Numbers chapter six, a little modified version of that. She'd say, Robbie, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and give you peace all the days of your life, my son. And so every day in my life, going out the door, I would get that blessing from my mom. And so that's what I do for the kids at night. So JD, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and give you peace all the days of your life, my son, my daughter, my son, my daughter, my daughter, my son, my son. It takes a long time to go through the list. I've got two kids off in college now, and sometimes that blessing comes over text to them, maybe not every night anymore. And as you can imagine, like I've got a five-year-old, if I forget to bless him or something, I, you know, from his bedroom. Daddy, daddy, where's my blessing? So it has become a really special final touch that they get to hear dad bestowing good on them. Like, I want you to experience God's love as you go to sleep tonight. I love that it makes it more bite-sized to hear some examples of what you do instead of looking like another overwhelming task to add to our list. Oh, absolutely. And now I'm curious, how do you see Satan trying to subtly block these four moments or opportunities? Oh, we see it all the time. (laughs) See, the enemy does not want an open Bible in your house, and he does not want you coming together as a family in prayer, because he knows that if you open up God's Word, it is living and active, it is supernatural through the Holy Spirit. And if you just read that Bible with a believing heart, hearts are going to get changed, minds are going to get renewed, and then they absolutely, Satan and the demons absolutely do not want you praying as a family or praying with your kids, asking for God's help in your family relationships. Because if you go and ask God for help, he's going to help you. And, you know, one of the real priorities I think that 
Satan and the demons have is to keep you functioning with your good intentions and your willpower. So I, I imagine anybody listening to your podcast, Laura, has good intentions. They probably mean well. You know, if they're a married person, they want to be a good spouse, or if they're a parent, they want to be a good parent. And my guess is, my assumption is that they are trying. They are really trying. So they mean well and they're trying. But if Amy and I have learned anything in our 25 years, that good intentions and willpower are going to get us nowhere. Like we need the supernatural power of God in our lives. So the spiritual attack comes against us all sorts of different ways. I think for me, you know, one of the ways is a spiritual attack of anxiety or insecurity. So maybe there's something I feel like I want to talk about with one of my teenagers or just maybe even ask them, hey, how can I pray for you or whatever? And oftentimes I will have this like pit of anxiety in my stomach about even starting the spiritual conversation with them. And I'm like, where in the world is that coming from? You know, it's not coming from God. I mean, God wants me to do that. It's not coming from my child per se, certainly not directly, but it's spiritual attack coming against me of Rob, don't press in to heart issues. Don't press into spiritual issues with your family. That definitely makes sense. And I think for me, it would be more of a lack of energy, like, oh, I'm tired. This looks big. Right. Okay. Another thing that I personally struggle with, and I wonder if somebody listening can relate, I can sometimes hear this and go legalistic with it, which I don't think God's intention is for us to do that. And I don't think that's your vision at all. So how do we even fight against taking in this information and then being legalistic about it? Yeah, absolutely. Well, remember, legalism is adding human rules and regulations on top of the Bible and then judging yourself and judging other people based on those human rules and regulations. You know, seeking to practice scripture is not legalistic at all. That's just Christian. And just taking it one step further, the four power-packed moments of the day what if they feel like, okay, now every time I'm in the car, I need to be having spiritual conversations. What would you say to that person listening right now? Well, that's not the way our family works. I'm not sure anybody really works like that. I mean, it's all of those things. I mean, God gives us these specific connection points, but there will be, let's take family worship time, okay? Our family prayer, family Bible time. There'll be days that go by where we have little or no family worship, family Bible. And I say, okay. And the Lord convicts me about that and says, okay, Rob, we kind of dropped off here. We need to reboot this thing. And we say, okay, right. Let's reboot. Let's get back on track. And then we go for a while and we're doing fine. And then we slip off and time to repent again and reboot. I mean, I, I just think that that is the, that's the Christian life. And I think we continue to like repeat that pattern of follow Jesus, fall off, repent, follow Jesus, fall off, repent. I think we keep doing that till Jesus comes back, unless I'm misreading my Bible. <laughs> That's very clearly said. I love it. And now a brief message from our sponsor. This sponsor is particularly special to our editor, Natalie, because this is the school where her husband teaches and her children attend. Peoria Christian School, grades pre-K through 12, offers a Christ-centered, award-winning education for students. They believe eternity matters, and so they want to share the importance of knowing the Lord personally. PCS supports the Christian home and church by teaching from a biblical worldview. Their caring faculty and staff infuses God's truths through every area of the day 
not just in daily Bible classes or in weekly chapels. Peoria Christian students engage in active learning through STEAM, Bring Your Own Device in High School, and so much more. The Peoria Christian Elementary School was named a 2017 National Blue Ribbon School of Excellence, and the high school was named a 2018 National Blue Ribbon Exemplary High Performing School. PCS students grow in every aspect through their safe environment as teachers share their faith throughout the day. It is another place where your student hears and sees how to live with a Christ-like attitude and develop biblically-based character. The students are academically challenged and spiritually equipped for the next phase of life as lifelong learners. Peoria Christian School is raising a generation of 21st century Christian leaders. Visit their website at puriachristian.org and schedule a campus tour today. Thanks for your sponsorship. Now, today we aren't only talking about our little nuclear family. So who else do you think God gives supernatural influence to? Well, in the Bible, family is much broader than parents and children in the home. You've got incredible impact of grandparents and great-grandparents from the standpoint of multi-generational faith. Now, again, in my family, with my mom being the very first Christian in our family tree, I didn't have any Christian grandparents. As a matter of fact, I only had one living grandparent while I was growing up, and she did not have an active faith in Jesus, my grandmother. And so for a lot of your listeners— They may have kids who have believing grandparents, or maybe they are grandparents themselves. And the Christian vision for grandparenting is so different than the world's vision. In fact, the world's vision for aging is that the older you get, kind of once you hit retirement age and beyond, it's sort of a, well, thank you for participating. We'll take it from here. In other words, your influence, your purpose is diminishing as you age rather than increasing. The biblical vision is that the older you get, and especially as grandbabies come into your life, the greater your ministry becomes because more souls have been entrusted to your care. And there's so many scriptures that speak about this power of multi-generational faithfulness. You know, right before Deuteronomy 6, in Deuteronomy 4, 9, God specifically says to the people, talk to your children and your children's children about the Lord and about his word. And so if you're out there and you're listening and you've got those grandkids, just recognize that your ministry for God is increasing. Uh, You're becoming more of a spiritual matriarch and patriarch in your family tree, not decreasing. And I remember hearing you talk one time just saying, that means everything we're doing daily from diaper changes to curfew discussions all have an impact on our unborn grandchildren and great-grandchildren. Yeah, really something that has changed so much about our family is what you just described there, which is this idea of multi-generational vision that what's happening in our homes right now is not just for our kids, that all the bumbling and stumbling and ups and downs and sins and struggles and victories All of that is investing into our kids' lives, who are going to then raise our grandkids, who are going to then raise our great-grandkids. And we need to have that multi-generational vision, especially when things are hard in our families. And they're hard a lot. There's nine sinful people in my house, so that makes lots of sin and lots of problems. And we have daily problems that we need the grace of God for. I remember an illustration from Chuck Stecker that always stuck with me. He said, with Christian parenting vision, 
that we want our ceiling to be our kid's floor, which is by the grace of God, what we want is that our best, okay, which is not very good, unfortunately, but we want our best as far as faith and as far as character to be the starting place for our kids. That if there's any patience in my life, of which there is little, but if there is any, then I at least want my kids to have that much patience and I want them to have more. If there's any love for God in my life, I want them to have at least that much, but actually I want them to love God more. If there's any faithfulness as a husband, you know, as my sons see that, I want them to be better husbands than me so that we have this vision of generational progress. And I love that picture that you tie in. After hearing a message like this, what do you think is the responsibility then for both the young and the elderly? Well, the world gives this very anti-biblical picture of aging. So one is as we age, we have less and less calling, mission, and responsibility. And then going along with that, of course, the world says that the younger generations should not look to the wisdom of the older generations, that we should just take it ourselves and and ignore whatever has gone before because we know better after all. So as far as a call to younger generations, one of the things that we've done a couple times, and we actually need to reboot it, and Laura, your kids are a perfect age to do this. I don't know if there's grandparents in their life or not, but doing some interviews with grandparents, asking the grandkids to come up with questions. What was life like for you growing up? What were some of the most important lessons that God taught you in your life? If you had to do it over again when you were this age, what would you do differently? What's something about God that you want us to remember and to videotape those interviews so that there is an honoring and an active seeking of the wisdom of grandparents or aunts or uncles? And then for you asked about, well, what should the older generations be doing? Just beginning with prayer, God, give me a heart as a spiritual matriarch, a spiritual patriarch in my family, that I would accelerate my ministry to the generations, not slink back. It's not time to go to Florida and collect shells. Now, there's nothing wrong with going to Florida. There's nothing wrong with collecting shells, but that's not priority one. I mean, if you've got grandkids somewhere in the world, priority one is doing everything in your power to impress the hearts of those grandkids with a love for God and serve as really special mentors for them, playing a totally, totally unique role. You know, we talk about God has called parents to be the primary spiritual influencers of their kids. But if you lock yourself in the room with the Bible and you say, okay, well, if parents are primary, you know, who's number two? Well, number two would be grandparents. And that's a vision I think in the church we really need to reclaim. I'm all for spoiling grandkids. I think it's fantastic. My oldest son is engaged. They're going to get married next year. So God willing, I'll have grandbabies here at some point. I hope I'm one of those granddads that spoils them. Not spoil in the sense of give them a sense of entitlement, but just pour on a tremendous amount of love and pour on a tremendous amount of heart connection, really trying to build a relationship with them and communicating to these grandkids that Amy and I, as your grandpa and your grandma or whatever names that we're going to get, that we love you and we are totally committed to you. Here's a phrase that as a grandfather, I am not going to use, okay? You'll hear this a lot. The great thing about having grandkids is you get to get them for a day or and then you get to give them back. I'm not going to say that because that sends a message to my grandkids that I'm happy to give them back. I'm not trying to replace their parents, but boy, Amy and I are just so excited about the chance to 
if God blesses us to have another generation in the family to build these heart-connected relationships, these relationships of acceptance, these relationships of safety. Uh, and we want to be godly supports to our children in raising their kids. We want our children to be parents. We have no interest in being parents again in that sense, right? And usurping our children's jurisdictional authority over their children. But we just want our kids to feel like we are their best friend and greatest support in their parenting journey. Well, and it seems like you and Amy have just stewarded this role of parenting so well, and it's been a tremendous encouragement to others. So I can't wait to see, Lord willing, what he does with the grandparenting for the two of you. And on this topic, do you have any words for those who are in the sandwich generation, still caring for kids at home and also entering a season of caring for aging parents? Yeah, absolutely. Well, first of all, it's an extremely difficult life season because your ministry output and the ministry demands on you are so high. And when I say ministry output, I mean, obviously you have your primary ministry of raising your children, but then you have this secondary ministry, this other biblical gospel ministry of caring for your parents in their old age. And especially as things become complicated medically or financially or with transitions and all that sort of stuff, it's incredibly physically taxing, emotionally taxing, spiritually taxing, financially taxing, all those things. And I would say just very, very practically that it's important during that intense season of ministry that that has to be a season of saying no to a lot of tertiary and whatever the other word is, quadrillary, whatever comes in three and four. There's going to be a lot of no's in that season of life. There's going to be a lot of no's to volunteering for the extra stuff at church. There's going to be a lot of no's to uh, signing up for extra jobs or extra work or whatever it's going to be because you've got all you can do to keep your head above water with primary ministry one of your home and primary ministry two or, or secondary ministry of caring for parents. So I think that that is an area that a lot of families begin to struggle because they don't say the necessary no's. And I would also say that for a lot of folks that are in the sandwich generation, they have siblings. So in other words, let's say it's uh, there's three siblings in the family, and they've all got their families, but they're trying to take care of mom and dad. That is an absolutely vital time for the siblings to build as close a relationship as possible and to communicate as much as possible. If they're believers, to begin praying together over text, over the phone, because part of the way the enemy is going to want to mess up that family's ministry is by creating conflict between the siblings as they're trying to care for mom and dad. I think that paints a very real picture so that they can avoid compassion fatigue or burnout. Is there anything that they can also be doing to nurture their own soul while they're in this season of giving? Yeah, I think marriages struggle a lot during that time because there's a basic, you know, the, the leave and cleave and become one principle. When a young couple gets married, they try to follow that, right? They move out of mom and dad's house, they cleave together, they become one. They, the term family changes in the sense that when we're growing up, family is our parents and siblings. But if you ask me, how's my family doing? I don't talk to you about my parents and my siblings. I talk to you about my wife and my children. And if you ask, how's your extended family? Well, then I talk to you about my parents and siblings and aunts and uncles. So what happens during those sandwich years is oftentimes the 
extended family needs, aging parents, is now demanding more primary consideration. And one of the areas that quickly gets attacked or depleted is the marriage relationship. So by soul care, the first thing that I would say would be that that is a time to be giving extra investment if you're a married person, extra investment into your marriage relationship. Otherwise, the demands of caring for the aging parents is going to take a real toll there. Oh, thank you. I think that's really wise. If you've benefited in any way from the Savvy Sauce, we would love to invite you to become a patron. If every listener gave just $1 per month, it would completely offset all our production costs. We want to keep majority of our content free to the public, and one way to do that is with your help. Please consider joining Patreon today and finding out what perks you can receive for pledging two, five, or even $20 per month. And Rob, as we're starting to wind down, is there anything else that we didn't cover today that you just have a passion to share with everyone listening? Just an encouragement that God loves your family. He puts you together for a reason. You know, sometimes if you're at a church that does small groups, they put you in a small group, you know, and they say, these are your friends now. And that's fine. (laughs) And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. But God did that in your life. God put you in a small group. He intentionally puts you into this world with some very specific people. And if you're a married person, you have children, he puts you into a home with these people. And all of them are messed up. All of them have problems. All of them are sinners. Uh, You're going to have conflicts with all of them. But God did it on purpose. And he did it. And he loves the family that he put together for you. And he's got a plan to use my messed up family and your messed up family He's got a plan to use this discipleship small group he put us in called the family to draw us closer to him and then launch these kids, launch these grandkids into the world to make a difference in the world for Christ. That's awesome. If this is someone's first introduction to you, where can they continue learning from you or connect with you online? Boy, Amy and I would love to connect with any of your listeners. You can find us online if you just type in visionary family ministries. You type that into wherever you want to type it, type it into Facebook or Twitter or Instagram. Our website is visionaryfam.com. A lot of the um, conversations we've been having today have been on the parenting and grandparenting side. And if there's one resource that people might want to consider picking up, um, it's Amy's in my book called Visionary Parenting. And you could find that, you know, wherever you buy your books. There's also a video Bible study on our website if you wanted to do that in your small group. Amy just published a new book for moms called The Not-So-Perfect Mom. It is on guilt and perfectionism in moms. And it is phenomenal. I would love for listeners to check that out. And then my daughter, Lissy, our 20-year-old daughter, Lissy, just finished a new book called The Heart of Your Teen. And it is about the parent-teen relationship from a teenager's perspective. And it is amazing, super unique and different. So that's the heart of your teen. All that stuff's on our website, visionaryfam.com or Amazon or wherever you would get your books. We will certainly link to that in our show notes and also make it easy to find on our resources page of our website. And then one final thing for listeners, we will be doing a giveaway on social media. So stay tuned for your opportunity to enter to be selected to receive one of these books. And Rob, I like to conclude each of these 
interviews with one final question. We're called the Savvy Sauce because savvy is synonymous with practical knowledge or insight. And so we would love to hear what is your Savvy Sauce? Sure, our Savvy Sauce. And we've got this written on a little cross-stitch thing on our wall. It's actually a, a proverb or an encouragement from a guy named G.K. Chesterton. And it says this, if it's worth doing, it's worth doing poorly. If it's worth doing, it's worth doing poorly. Now, that might sound opposite to what you think, but what that means is let's go back to where we started our conversation about these four times of the day to try to have a spiritual conversation with our kids. If it's worth doing, it's worth doing poorly, which means there's plenty of times when it comes to our family worship time that it's, okay, kids, dad's exhausted. Uh, I'm going to pray and we're all going to go to bed. Okay, God, help these kids fall asleep fast. Amen. Now, that's not some great family Bible time, right? But we prayed before bed. Okay, on the bed. If it's worth doing, it's worth doing poorly. You've got a teenager, some awkward conversation that doesn't go very well about some heart issue or spiritual issue. If it's worth doing, it's worth doing poorly. So our job as parents, all of us fall short. All of us struggle. All of us are very needy when it comes to spiritual things and our family relationships. God loves us. God's got us. So this modern proverb has helped us a ton. If it's worth doing, it's worth doing poorly. That's wonderful. I've never heard anything like that before. And Rob, I just really appreciate your ability to drive home these important truths with biblical accuracy in such a memorable way. So thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I really enjoyed talking to you. One more thing before you go. Have you heard the term gospel before? It simply means good news, and I want to share the best news with you. But it starts with the bad news. Every single one of us were born sinners, and God is perfect and holy, so he cannot be in the presence of sin. Therefore, we're separated from him. This means there's absolutely no chance we can make it to heaven on our own. So for you and for me, it means we deserve death, and we can never pay back the sacrifice we owe to be saved. We need a Savior. But God loved us so much, He made a way for His only Son to willingly die in our place as the perfect substitute. This gives us hope of life forever in right relationship with Him. That is good news. Jesus lived the perfect life we could never live and died in our place for our sin. This was God's plan to make a way to reconcile with us so that God can look at us and see Jesus. We can be covered and justified through the work Jesus finished, if we choose to receive what he has done for us. Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So would you pray with me now? Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus to take our place. I pray someone today, right now, is touched and chooses to turn their life over to you. Will you clearly guide them and help them take their next step in faith to declare you as Lord of their life? We trust you to work and change the lives now for eternity. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you prayed that prayer, you are declaring him for me, so me for him. You get the opportunity to live your life for him. At this podcast, we are called Savvy for a reason. We want to give you practical tools to implement the knowledge you have learned. So you're ready to get started? First, tell someone. Say it out loud. Get a Bible. 
The first day I made this decision, my parents took me to Barnes & Noble to get the Quest NIV Bible, and I love it. Start by reading the book of John. Get connected locally, which basically means just tell someone who is part of the church in your community that you made a decision to follow Christ. I'm assuming they will be thrilled to talk with you about further steps, such as going to church and getting connected to other believers to encourage you. We want to celebrate with you too, so feel free to leave a comment for us if you made a decision for Christ. We also have show notes included where you can read scripture that describes this process. Finally, be encouraged. Luke 15.10 says, In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. The heavens are praising with you for your decision today. If you've already received this good news, I pray that you have someone else to share it with today. You are loved, and I look forward to meeting you here next time.